welcome to Harvest Birth Stories, where we support mamas pre, post, and during birth. My name is Sophie Grace, and I will be your host for this podcast. We want to share empowering birth stories across the United States and beyond, and encourage mothers all around the world to feel proud and empowered by any story that they may have experienced. Let's get into the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm going to welcome Tanya onto the podcast today. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm always like, if anybody's listening, like, I don't know if anybody's actually listening, but I assume there's a couple people. (laughs) Um, I'm going to have you just start off by introducing yourself and a little bit about you and who you have at home and all that jazz. Sounds good. My name's Tanya Stiefel. I live in Fargo here, and I am an esthetician at Blush Beauty Bar. I go back actually next month. I've had some time off and more time with my boys. Mm. Um, My husband is Tyler, and we have two boys, Jet and Wells. Jet is just, well, exactly a month younger than Soren. He'll be two in November. And then Wells is six, almost seven months. <laughs> so if anyone have, that's 14 and a half months apart. <laughs> it's just crazy to me to think like if I was in your shoes, like I, I have Soren who's like almost the same age and I'd have like a seven month old. <laughs> like, yeah, my brain can't wrap around that. <laughs> Mine couldn't till like literally he was here. So yeah. Yeah. Well, a blessing in disguise, right? Absolutely. Which will kind of bring me into my first kind of question of your um, fertility and how you guys decided to start having children and how that all went for you. Sounds good. So I was on birth control for, you know, ever, but I got off it in the spring of 2019 And we wanted to do the whole not, not try thing, just see what happens. And um, I had gotten only two periods and then my cycles completely stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the doctor about five or six months later and they did a vaginal ultrasound and then saw a bunch of small cysts. So they diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, mm-hmm. which I was kind of expecting. Tyler had already like self-diagnosed me with that. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, there's another way you can determine PCOS and that's by having hormone levels checked. And the doctors had said like, oh, that's not necessary. We can tell from the ultrasound. But I did request that they draw my blood and check those levels which I'm glad that they did because once I get into seeing the fertility doctor um, a couple or a year or so later, that came in handy. But basically, um, it was kind of disappointing how it was handled. I was just told to get back on birth control to regulate my cycles, 
Mm. which at the time for us was okay because um, I was actually going through a going to be going through a career change and going back to school to be an esthetician. I previously worked in IT sales. So we had decided, yeah, this probably isn't the best time to start a family, but they didn't tell me how long to be on birth control or what the next step was. It was literally just a phone call from a nurse like, yep, get back on birth control to regulate your cycles. Hmm. Um, That's frustrating. frustrating. Yeah, especially if I would have been, you know, really wanting to start my family at that time. Right. So I stayed on birth control for six months, um, went back to school, um, and, you know, COVID happened. And then in May 2020, I got off birth control again. And in the meantime, I had done um, any research that I could to try and see how I could regulate my cycles because it's hard to get pregnant if you only have two cycles and then they stop. Right. So I had started a supplement. Um, I had started this like sisterhood, but C-Y-S-T-E-R, hood fertility tea. I cut out gluten. I cut Mm. out dairy. I cut Mm. out alcohol, caffeine. So all the things. Like Um, drinking like a giant coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, now looking back, I'm like, how did I do any of that. But I was just really hoping naturally to get my body to do what it needed to. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did acupuncture also um, around like my cycle times. We were using ovulation tests um, and trying to get pregnant. And same thing, even despite all those efforts, all the things I gave up, um, after two cycles, my period stopped again. Weird. Yes. So it was kind of disappointing. Like I'm like all of that. And in the summertime, you know, kind of for nothing. So strange. Yes. Yes. There's different types of PCOS, but the one I had, um, that's really common. So I guess you probably never even knew that because you were on birth control for so long. Yeah. So most of the time they do diagnose um, PCOS much younger, but Mm -hmm. I had started, I didn't get my period till I was almost 16. And then by 18, I was on birth control. So I, I don't know if I had regular cycles. I mean, I think they must've been somewhat regular, but (laughs) yeah, so I was, um, I guess I think I was 26 when I found out and that was like pretty late to find out. I was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at that point I email or, you know, my Sanford chart message, my doctor and said like, Hey, same thing happened, but this time I really do want to have a baby. Um, and they just sent in a referral to Sanford Reproduction or Reproductive Clinic. And I got in there fairly quickly. So mm-hmm. I got off birth control in May and I was um, seen by Sanford Reproductive in August. Mm, okay. And this was 2020. This was 2020. Yes. So probably everything had to be like on your own basically, didn't it? Sorry, everything. What like all of your appointments had to be like on, on your own because of like oh, COVID and stuff. Yes. Yeah. I don't think Tyler got to come with to anything really. But Which once, sucks. Yeah. Yes. Um, once we started there though, they did one of the first things they did was check um, his sperm though, just to rule out that 
there wasn't an issue with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went over, this is where I was thankful I had requested the hormone levels because it showed, you know, and I'm, I don't remember the details of it, but two numbers were completely flipped. Like one that was supposed to be low was high and one that was supposed to be high was low. So that's why my body was very confused. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they worked with me um, to come up with a plan. They start you with, um, well, first they had to give me um, a drug to induce a period. And then every cycle they do multiple vaginal ultrasounds. I think it's like two. And then they prescribed letrozole or Fremera. Mm -hmm. Um, That and Clomid are like the top two fertility drugs, at least when I was going through it. And so you come in a certain day of my cycle and they would do that vaginal ultrasound and then prescribe the dose and tell me when to take it and for how many days. And then they would have me come back um, and check me again and to see how many follicles I have and the size of my follicles. And then they would tell me when to do a trigger shot. And I don't know what that was, but, you know, a shot into my stomach Mm-hmm. And then from there they'd say like 36 hours later, I believe it was to have sex. And then again, like 12 or 24 hours. So it was very um, scientific. <laughs> and I had never, I hadn't really had friends who had struggled with fertility at this point. So I um, didn't know what to expect. And the doctor had told me that the letrozole or Fremera would give me um or could give me menopausal symptoms. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, did it ever. Like what I experienced hormone-wise there was way worse than anything I've ever experienced with pregnancy or postpartum. I mean, there was a day where I, and I'm not usually a crier. I mean, in this podcast, we're, I feel like we're going to talk about every time I've cried for <laughs> my years, but I'm not usually one. Um And there was a day where I just cried the whole entire day and I couldn't tell you why. It wasn't necessarily about like, oh my God, I'm not pregnant. I just like between every client, everything, like I just cried. Mm. Um, Yeah, I feel like I I just felt like a crazy person. I didn't feel like myself Mm -hmm. during this um, fertility experience. And that that was one of the hardest things for me, I would say. So we ended up repeating those cycles of doing basically nat, well, it's not natural, but having sex just with the help of medication beforehand. Um, we did that, I believe, four times from August mm. until November. Um, and I always got my period. I, I didn't get pregnant. So at that point, our next step was IUI, um, interuterine insemination, or aka the turkey baster approach. <laughs> um, so we would have been due to do that for the first time the day after Christmas, but it was our year to go to South Dakota with Tyler's family. So our doctor said, hey, we don't want you to ruin your Christmas plans. Just take a month off. Right. Um so got a month break from the meds, but still felt like a crazy person. <laughs> um, and then it was January, our next time month to try for the IUI. Um, and I had started taking the medicine and then actually 
we postponed the IUI again. I had um, a breast lump scare. I have a history of breast cancer at a very young age in my family. Um, ended up everything was being fi- was fine, but it was like, okay, well, um, until we have the results, we probably shouldn't try and get pregnant. Right, um, right. Yeah, so that's... Then it was- February, six months after starting with the reproductive clinic, um, finally time to do our first IUI. Um, They prescribed the medicine just like they had all the other months that we tried. And my body didn't respond as well to it this time. Um, And something I didn't understand with fertility is I thought, you know, if you take an ovulation test and it says you're ovulating. Well, as I understand it, I don't work in the medical field, so don't quote me, but how I was told um, is that you may or may not actually be ovulating. All that that means is your body is releasing follicles that may or may not contain an egg, and you obviously need it to contain an egg. And not only does it need to have an egg that you release, but it has to be a mature egg. Mm. So they usually want three to four like good size follicles in hopes that one of those would have a mature egg. Um, And I only had one follicle that was the size that they wanted. So they didn't give me very high um, chances for our first IUI. But I, this is something I recommend to people. I truly practice the um, positive thinking and visualizing. So it was the day for our IUI. I'd done the medicine, the trigger shot. Tyler had gone in and given him them his specimen. <laughs> the most I, awkward part. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And he was like Snapchatting the room, the megs. And I'm like, you know, people probably don't need to see <laughs> that, but um, definitely interesting. Um, I've heard since they allow the man to do that at home. I'm like, well, that would have probably been nice. Right. No kidding. But I'm sure they want it like as fresh as possible. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Because they spin it and then take like the best um, sperm and they insert that part um, <laughs> right up into your uterus so it doesn't have to travel anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um you have to lie there for 15 minutes when they're done. It's super quick and easy. And I was listening to like a medic meditation. I had downloaded free travel meditation app and I was just with everything it was saying. Um, I was just picturing like a little baby forming in my stomach. Um, they also tell you after the IUI to follow up at a certain time with um, intercourse And so afterwards, I was like, okay, Tyler, you have to lay with me for these 15 minutes. Let's just talk about nine months from now when we're having our baby. And I just would talk about everything like we were getting pregnant, like it was working that time. And after the IUI, they tell you 14 days later to take a pregnancy test. But I had had a friend who actually had just had an IUI like a month or two before me. Um... And she was like, after 11 days, you can find out um, from the trigger shot, it, you know, makes your body think you're pregnant. It raises your HCG levels. She's like, that's gone after 10 days. So at day 11, if you take a pregnancy test, it will be accurate or should be. Mm-hmm. So um, Tyler wanted me to wait till Friday, the day 14. Um, but I had had, you know, 
pre-baby life, I had plans Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with friends. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with someone if I'm sad. Like this time I'm really convinced. Um, So I took Len on Tuesday and didn't tell him, but it was positive. Just snuck back in bed and was like, oh, he didn't want me to take it. (laughs) And then the next day I took another and it was positive again. So then I told him like, say I did take it but it's good news um it'd be so hard to not though oh my gosh yes and I I don't know I so I tell people to I'm like after 11 days take it um it's like you're just waiting to open your Christmas presents exactly I'm not a patient person I'm not like you I need to know the gender gender as soon as possible like yeah (laughs) I needed to know um (laughs) Yeah, so then it was very exciting to find out we're pregnant. Um, the Yay. reproductive clinic, I messaged them. So that would have been day 12 after. I messaged them and said I'd had a um, positive pregnancy test two days in a row, and they had me come in, I think that same day, um, for a blood test. So they weren't like, oh, it's not 14 days yet. Um And then they kept checking my HCG levels every few days um, until it hit a certain point. And then I went in for my first ultrasound at seven weeks, I believe. And then at nine weeks before graduating with them and moving on to regular OB. Awesome. So I think it's really good for people to hear this because I know a lot of People say that IUI is like very low chances of successful rates. So mm-hmm. like, isn't it kind of like a 50-50 chance basically? Um, More like 33%. Yeah. So like yeah. I think it's really awesome to like listen to a success story and know that like it does happen out there. Yes. And especially when they had said – so they had said – normally it's like a 33% chance, but then they had given me even lower because they're like, you got one good follicle. If the egg and if there's not an egg in there, if it's not mature, like you can't mm-hmm. get pregnant. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I always tell people to stay positive with IUIs because I think usually you do three or four before you move to IVF and IUI is a lot easier than IVF. Right. A lot a lot less expensive, a lot less injections, um, not uncomfortable. So I'm like, stay positive. And I just tell people, I'm like, maybe you think I'm wacky, but for real, download like a meditation. Just, <laughs> just picture all the things. I think obviously it's not just positive thinking, but I, I do think that's a factor. Yeah, for sure. So we'll kind of jump into your pregnancy and I guess how that went for you and how you kind of, um, I know like your birth plan didn't go anywhere near what you were hoping for, but like, how did you plan for birth and like, how did your uh, pregnancy go with Jet? Yes. Sounds good. Um, so planning for birth. Well, one thing that I think is a disadvantage when you find out you're pregnant, you're usually only share it with a few people. And so I would suggest before you're pregnant to ask everyone you know um, who they had for their doctor or midwife and get all the recommendations because um, 
if you're not trying to tell everyone you're pregnant, it's hard to find out who would be a good doctor. So I did ask one of my best friends who was pregnant with her second baby at the same time I was pregnant. Um, and she said she liked her doctor. So I went and she was Sanford also. So I went to the same doctor. I regretted that from my first visit and even said to my friend, I'm like, wow, she's like, she's kind of cold. And my friend was like, yeah, she's really hard to talk to. And, um, so I wanted to, from that first visit, change my doctor, but I didn't, I feel like in the Midwest, you're just so afraid of being that person. Yeah. Um, So I wish I would have done that, but, um, yeah, other than that, preparing, I did the CPR class that was important to me. I did a the nice thing about um, still having a baby in COVID times where so many of the classes were online, not CPR, obviously, but um, <laughs> I had a lot of the like parenting classes. I actually never did a birth class um, because what I'll get into, but from 20 weeks on um, until a little bit at the end, I thought I would be having a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt really good during my pregnancy with, with both my boys actually. So I'm blessed for that. Um, just tired the first trimester and felt better energy wise when the second trimester hit. And then, um, my 20 week ultrasound with jet, he looked completely healthy, but they found that I had complete placenta previa. So the placenta was completely covering my cervix. Yeah. And if anybody is like listening, that's basically a no-go for having any sort of vaginal birth because if you birth, if you go into labor, your baby is going to start pushing on that placenta and, you know, really bad things can happen. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, and there's different degrees of placenta previa and complete is meaning that like it's completely covered. So I was told um, that we'll keep checking it. You know, I think it was every four to six weeks to see if the placenta moves at all, but that I'd likely have a C-section before 36 weeks because like you said, it's really dangerous to go into labor. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, they put me on lifting restrictions, which for a girl who hates working out loved that (laughs) and then um they also put me on pelvic rest which I don't know if I want to get into so much of what that means you can google it but basically you're not allowed to do anything um in the bedroom (laughs) so yeah that's lovely um podcast right Tanya (laughs) what'd you say that's a topic for a different podcast. Right? Oh, yes. Or just normal me. Like, <laughs> yes. But I'm like, okay, people could be listening. So it's fine. <laughs> yes, you can go. But um, so did all the scans, you know, as they'd come up and um, placenta wasn't moving at all. Oh, one thing I will say, I did join a Facebook group for, you know, people with placenta previa And I wouldn't say that that was bad, but it's kind of like reviews for restaurants or whatever. You're only going to read like the worst case scenarios. So it for me, I went nowhere without like diapers and a change of clothes because it was like, oh my God, you could just all of a sudden bleed 
and have to go to the hospital and you could be hospitalized and on bed rest for weeks. Um, so it was good to be prepared, but it definitely made me a little more worried than I needed to be. Um, so continuing throughout, um, my pregnancy, placenta wasn't moving. And then, um, I saw my regular OB right before I had my ultrasound, my final ultrasound to see if my placenta moved. And she was like, I've never seen a placenta move this late. Nope. Like, yep, you're going to have your baby. You know, at this point we had had a date on the calendar for probably six to eight weeks of when I thought I was having my baby. And she's like, yep, no chance it's moving basically is what she told me. Um, the maternal fetal medicine doctors who had been seeing for the ultrasounds were a little hopeful, like, oh, there's still a chance it could move, but Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would. So a week before my scheduled C-section, which would have been for 35 and five, Mm -hmm. um, went in for the ultrasound and it had moved. Like it, it moved all the way or did it just move like a little bit? It had moved. Um, it needs to be cleared by three centimeters. And I think it was, I think it had just cleared that or was like very close where he's like, oh, I'm confident it's going to move the final like half centimeter or whatever it had to go. I don't remember the exact details. I honestly think I was just like really shocked. Um, I was already mentally preparing for not doing this. Oh, totally. I had like my end date at work. Everything was ready. Yeah, I had... Also, I had never attended a birthing class. Right. I didn't know anything about having a vaginal baby because, or a baby vaginally, vaginal baby. a vaginal baby, <laughs> um, because I thought I was going to have a C-section. Yeah. And so then after that, I, you know, see my OB and this was just a glimpse into it, but she didn't say one word like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it moved. I've never seen that or anything. She just like did her check and I'm like. Yeah, so I like thought I was gonna have my baby by now. She's like, "Oh yeah, I saw your placenta moved." <laughs> You're like, "Thanks, <laughs> thanks." You like really um, had me thinking it wasn't. So, yeah, at that visit with her, that would have been at 37 weeks or 37 and a half. I had my first cervix check, and then the next day, I woke up and thought that my water had broke. Um, but it turns out I had a big bleed um, and had like passed a strawberry size blood clot, I would say, um, in the bathroom. And at this point, I was surprised. Like the big bleed was something I was expecting the whole time I had placenta previa, but I had just been cleared of that. So I was definitely confused by this. Right, right. Um, so I went into triage and that was not... Um, not a great experience. We're there over shift change, so like 7 a.m., which I would not recommend because I don't know if people get their wires crossed. So saw two different midwives. Um, first one was good. And then um, and two different nurses. So the second nurse had actually come in and checked me. And I had told them all, like, I'm here because I had a big bleed. They had, just to be safe, they checked to see if my water broke. And that came back negative. Um But after I realized it was red, I never thought my water broke. I didn't think I was in labor. But the second midwife who was, you know, telling me I could leave told me or tried telling me I peed the bed. She's like, you know, there's a lot of pressure down there on your bladder and like accidents happen. And I'm like, no, 
it's red. Like I don't pee red and like have blood clots. So right. <laughs> and then she was just like, oh, a little bit of bleeding's normal from cervical, like from your cervix getting checked. And I'm like, this this wasn't a little bit of bleeding. Like I don't I don't know. It's like they just weren't understanding. And I wish in that moment I would have added advocated more. But again, I think there's such a need to always feel so polite. Right. Um, and you are just such a nice, sweet person, too. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that. I um, you are. Like, I just feel like you're so sweet and nice, and I love talking to you. <laughs> well, you're very kind. It makes me feel good. I'm like, so nervous about talking right now. Um, but yeah, so that just left us very confused. Luckily, the nurse was much better, and she, you know – Yes, my husband was with me and she just told us, she's like, you know, I take bleeding very seriously. I don't take this lightly. If it happens again, come back. Mm-hmm. So um, I woke up on Saturday, November 6th, again, thinking my water broke. This would have been, the other one was the second. So this would have been like four days later. Mm-hmm. But of course it was another big bleed, um, even bigger blood clots this time. Um, I would say they were probably this golf ball maybe bigger um I thought those were huge at the time yeah they are sweet oh no 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 those are tiny compared to how the rest of the day went but um woke up and actually the night before was the first time I felt like over being pregnant um and again I think it was I thought I was gonna have my baby at 35 and 5 so now being at 38 and 1 I know that's not even that's not far people go to past 41 weeks sometimes but when you think for 16 weeks or however long that you're having a baby sooner I just started to get over it so Mm -hmm. um and work had taken me off the schedule I'm like what am I gonna do this baby's gonna stay in here for a month after (laughs) (laughs) I was having him so that Saturday actually would have been my grandpa who I was really close to and he's living it would have been his 105th birthday and I just like looked up you know at the ceiling pretending to talk to him and I was like grandpa it's your birthday let's have this baby today like I'm oh. um but I so I called the nurse at the triage and it was kind of like everyone's vibe when I was there on Tuesday like oh if you can feel the baby move like you should be fine you don't have to come in but if you're if you want to come in just for peace of mind you can so Tyler and I decided we should go in um but I didn't bring the hospital bags. I'm like, apparently this is nothing. Apparently this is normal. Like, let's just leave the bags at home. They're going to tell me to just go home. Um, I had a much better experience this time, better care team. And the midwife who looked at, checked me out was like, this is not cervical bleeding. This is not no big deal. Um, like I'm definitely concerned. Everything looked good with the baby, but, um, she she had said she's like I'm gonna consult the on-call doctor and have him come look at you but I think we should be better safe than sorry and get this baby out before something bad happens mm-hmm. um so the on-call doctor at Sanford was Dr. Kappaman mm-hmm. and he checked me and he he agreed with her um they checked like three times um to see if my placenta wasn't out of the way and it was enough so they were definitely puzzled by why I was bleeding so much there wasn't really an answer but they were afraid to send me home and have another big bleed and then something bad happened to me or the baby so they admitted me and started Pitocin 
Mm -hmm. I only dilated to one when I came in um, and then sent Tyler home to get the hospital bags, which should have just grabbed when we went in. (laughs) But in reflection, like it really does kind of take a little bit anyway (laughs) at the start. Yes. No, that's true. Well, normally. 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 Yes. So, um, yeah, that could have been a very long day. So he thought he had all the time in the world and he's a putzer. So, um, yeah, I'll get into that in just a second. But yeah, the doctor had said like, um, we'll start you on Pitocin, but because of, you know, your previous placenta previa and this bleeding, I'm going to be cautious and we might have to switch to a C-section. And he was apologizing. I think he thought like, oh my gosh, you thought you're having a C-section, then you thought vaginal. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to have a healthy baby. Um, So it took about half an hour for the Pitocin to cook in. And when they did, the contractions were mild, but really quickly I started noticing with every contraction, I would bleed. And so with one of my first few contractions, um, I went, I'm like, oh, I, I can tell I'm bleeding. So I went into the bathroom, the nurse was there and, um, I bled into one of those nurse hats, they call them, like where they touch the urine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I filled that completely with blood and was overflowing onto the floor with, that one contraction and there were several that's terrifying yeah I mean it it is I was weirdly calm you know obviously I didn't have any epidural or anything (laughs) I and I'm not a calm person I don't understand how I was calm but I I was super calm um so yeah I was just dropping these blood clots it was overflowing I looked it up just because I was curious those um hats fill like or hold like 30 ounces of fluid and then you know there's more coming onto the floor so I remember I turned to the nurse and I'm like yeah I'm guessing the doctor's gonna say this should be a c-section and she's like uh yes I'm gonna stop the pitocin right Right. now right it makes me wonder like if the first two times it happened if you were like having like practice contractions and if maybe that's why it happened right maybe and maybe the contractions just weren't like um you know strong enough that they woke me up right like it it could have definitely been that if it kind of happened with pitocin and the contractions like wow crazy it was definitely like right when I'd get a contraction. So I never thought about it like that, but that very well could be why it had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And at this point, Tyler's gone getting the hospital bags and um, the doctor came in, Dr. Capamini checked me and I was still at a one. So he was like, um, okay, if you magically had moved to an eight in this short amount of time, I would say we could do this vaginally. But since you're still at a one, we have a long ways to go and you're losing a lot of blood. So it needs to be a Mm C-section, which like I said, that didn't surprise me. So um, he left and they called anesthesia and the nurses had me call Tyler to hurry back. They're like, "Um," I'm on the phone with them. I'm like, yeah, so where are you at? Like kind of gotta hurry it up and just casual and he's like oh well I'm gonna stop and get a burger I think do you want one and there was a nurse who had no per poker face and I cannot well 
I guess maybe you you have more research, but at the time I did not think I could have a burger, and but especially going into a C-section. Right. And the nurse is like, he cannot get a burger. Like, he needs to get here now. If mm-hmm. Anastasia beats him, we're not waiting for him. So <laughs> he could, like, hear that, and he's like, oh, okay, like, I'm coming. Um, so he gets back, and even though the Pitocin was um, shut stopped I was still having contractions and I was still bleeding with all of them but I was like oh my gosh I can tell that there's a huge clot this time so the nurse had to come and it's like she was delivering my placenta I feel like obviously I've never delivered a placenta vaginally but she reached her hands up in me and had to pull it out and then was because they were weighing all of the blood that I was losing she was balanced, had both of her hands together and was like balancing it. It looked like a ginormous pancake. My and God. I'm normally someone who's like freaked out of blood. If anything looks like it hurts, but I don't know what was up with me, Sophie. I was like, oh my God, cool. Can I see it? And she just like looks at me and she's like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> no, I'm walking this blood clot over to the, um, the weighing station. But yeah, so it's just this ginormous blood clot that they pulled out of me. Um, so then anesthesia arrives, the doctor arrives, they're going over consent. Um, and again, I do not know how to read the room. I see the name of the anesthesiologist. I see his last name and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know your wife. And I'm like going into how I know his wife and <laughs> been around her and these small world connections. And Tyler interrupts me and he's like, Tanya, this is not the time. And the anesthesiologist was like, yeah, later we'll have time for this, but we really just need to get this baby out of you. And I'm like, oh, okay, whoops. It's probably like, a, I don't know. I feel like I do this thing when I get in like kind of scary or awkward situations where I like make jokes to make myself feel better. It's probably oh, the same kind of thing. <laughs> for sure. And I know I would have been a hundred percent different if there would have been concern about the baby but the heartbeat was always good I guess you know that could have changed any second but I wasn't really thinking about that so I wasn't concerned about myself Mm -hmm. you know baby's good I'm good um was kind of my theme throughout everything but yeah um just a little anecdote there (laughs) and um so there wasn't time for any of like the pre-surgical medications drinks anti-nausea any of that they take me back. Um, Tyler has to get gowned up and wait outside and they're doing my spinal block. And um, well, it ended up not working very well. So uh, they're doing like the test to see if I can feel anything before they bring Tyler in. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can feel that. Like, especially on one side I could. And so then they go in with local lidocaine. Um, But at, at this point, with how much blood I've lost and how long now, because they can't have monitors on the baby when they're doing the spinal, um, they're just concerned about getting the baby out. So they bring Tyler in and he's barely even sits down before they pull out the baby and jet and we hear him cry. Mm. Um, We both cried. That was something I was worried about was feeling like, okay, because I'm not pushing the baby out and having um, like the miracle and feeling so, I mean, it's still a miracle, but like feeling strong and like empowered over my body. Like, am I still going to feel like emotional? And I, I definitely did. So um, 
any C-section mamas out there, like it can mm. still feel really nice. Um, so yeah, they, t- Tyler goes over to the way station, um, with, with Jet and I am in pain and nauseous. So the nurse and Tyler bring the baby over to me and I, <laughs> I hate this. I'm like my first interaction with my son, I felt like I was rejecting him. Like they're like, Oh, you want to like look at him and touch him. And I just felt like I was going to throw up and I'm like, I can't throw up at him. So I was like turned and looked the other way and they gave me a puke bag and I'm like, I'm sorry. I just don't want to throw up on you. They're Um, not like the most attractive looking things right away either. Right. But puking on it. Oh my gosh. And I, yeah. Oh, I was like, I'm already a pale girl, but I was white as a ghost from losing so much blood and everything. So yeah, not my best look either. But eventually after the meds kicked in, I got to, and I still in the C-section room, I got to look at him and touch him. And um, it happened pretty quickly. The meds kicked in, but pain meds um, took a little longer to kick in. So Tyler and Jet went to the recovery room and I was stitched back up. And I was in the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I can't compare it to having a um, vaginal birth like you did, especially unmedicated. So I I can't compare, but it was really painful. And this was Um, like right after? Right after. This is when they're stitching me up. Yes. Oh my God. No, I feel like that is. It's not normal. That's (laughs) terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Yes. Well, And I think what they would have done if I hadn't lost so much blood, they would have called a timeout and redone or my spinal or given me more medication. But because I'd lost so much blood, I lost a lot during the C-section too. And the C-section was the doctor was like, that is one of the fastest C-sections I've ever done compared to my second. Oh my gosh. It was, yeah, it was so fast. It was like the blink of an eye. They had the baby out. Um, I think there just wasn't time. So they just had to stitch me up. I was just doing everything I could not to scream. And then at the time though, I thought it was normal. Like I said to the nurses, I was like, oh my God, I feel like a wimp. I had no idea that was going to hurt. Like no one had told me it wasn't supposed to. Um, And they just looked at me and they're like, yeah, they looked at me and they're just like, no, like you are strong. Like you are very tough. And I'm like, oh, Okay. So I, Mm. I didn't find out till like quite a few days later when I talked to a friend or more than a week later, um, my friend was like, wait, I had no idea I was being stitched up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so yeah, that was a lot of pain, but then it did get better. They gave me meds. I never felt loopy or anything, but the pain, um, did go away. That is awful. I'm sure it's cause like your spinal didn't really work. Exactly. The alternate, I guess, option would be to just knock you out, which I'm sure you didn't want either. No, they didn't ask, but I wouldn't have wanted that. And I honestly don't think they felt like there was time for that. I think they were like pretty just worried about everything. So it's just like, all right, we just got to do it. And I mean, I'm not going to say I wasn't numb at all. I definitely had some numbness, but I could, I could feel way more than I was supposed to, Mm -hmm. especially now having had a second C-section, like, oh my God, night and day difference. Oh my gosh. So I guess kind of walk us into your recovery and postpartum then. I know you've got some journey to talk about with that too with Jet. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm sorry, sorry. people. This is (laughs) lovely. 
Yes. Um, there's just a lot, but okay. So right away, um, started breastfeeding, you know, I won't, I'm going to try not to go too much into that. It didn't work very well for us. He wouldn't latch. Um, we were more trying to spoon feed him. Um, they checked my hemoglobin levels, um, and they had dropped in half because they did check my hemoglobin. Um, they dropped in half from when I was first admitted. So they determined I needed a blood transfusion. They did one bag of blood and an iron IV. They could have done two bags of blood, but for some reason they did the iron IV instead. And I had to be checked on like every 30 minutes have vitals all throughout the whole night. So that first night I did not get like any sleep. Um, Also when they did the blood transfusion, my vein blew. So I like asked later, I'm like, is this normal? Like my whole um, arm was extremely swollen. I ended up having a horrible, horrible bruise from the lower half of my arm, my wrist, my hand um, that lasted for weeks. And then when they were trying to fix the blood transfusion IV, they, two of my other veins rolled. So finally the fourth vein worked. Um, I had to like keep my arm straight too. I don't know if it was from the IV or the blood transfusion, but they had to do a, like monitor my blood pressure. So basically to try and nurse, I had to have lactation or a nurse in there. Like I couldn't, um, you know, try and manipulate my breast at all. I couldn't even hold like the baby. I, mm-hmm. my hands, it's like, I didn't have hand arms. I couldn't right. So, like so many cords and and pain. Yes. So, um, yeah, our room was chaos. There was always, always people in there. Um, but it all worked out. And a nurse had said to me, she was like, you know, you can cry. Like everything that could go wrong, I feel like has gone wrong for you. Like you can cry. And I was honestly fine with all of it. And I just said, as long as he's fine, I'm fine which is kind of foreshadowing. Um, So also with lactation, you know, things, he wasn't latching. I didn't have much for him. So he was losing too much weight. And I feel like a lot of babies, he had to start on formula before we left the hospital. Um, Oh, a fun little thing before I finish the hospital stay. A couple of our closest friends, um, had their baby the day after us and Tyler requested they get the postpartum room right next to us. So that was kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we were on like a little friend vacation somewhere. I couldn't get too close to her baby and she couldn't get too close to mine because of the bands. But (laughs) yeah. That's funny. Um, Yes. Um, And then so we spent three nights there, which is the typical with C-section and then went home which was just like, oh my God, we can do this. Right. So you went home and um, tell us what happens next. Yes. So we were doing triple feeding. I had no idea how the pump works. Like 
I don't know how you would think I would know things. I knew nothing. I didn't realize like with the pumping bra, I thought it just should suction to you. I was clueless. Um, <laughs> I went to the lactation cafe that Stanford has the day after leaving the hospital and they weighed jet before and after nursing on both sides and he didn't transfer like anything. Oh. Um, then two days later, I had a lactation appointment and they did the same thing. Um, weighed him before and after he didn't transfer anything again. I showed her like pictures I'd taken of how much I'd gotten with my pump, which I think was like, I would get like a quarter to half an ounce total in a pumping session. And this would have been six days postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, so the lactation consultant had told me like, because of the blood transfusion, because of PCOS, because of getting pregnant from fertility treatments, that all those things really hurt my supply and that I wouldn't have enough to feed my baby. And even though I tried to go into it with an open mind about, oh, formula is fine, breastfeeding is fine, that made me really sad. I definitely cried. I feel like if someone can have multiple children and go to lactation and not cry, like just the regular (laughs) provided Mm -hmm. lactation, not someone's special like you like wow that's amazing because they have a way to make me cry (laughs) um but yes yes I could mention that all all day long saying you don't have enough to make to feed your baby it's just like so insensitive and so frustrating and saying I never would and this is only I mean yes it's six Six days while but it's like it's it's still only six days right Um, like a traumatic traumatic delivery and that definitely can delay things so to say that right off the bat is frustrating but continue yes Yes. um well I'm gonna backtrack now as we're moving to the next topic so I think I first heard of RSV during my pregnancy um in 2021 I feel like it was not a thing anyone talked about before then Um, And I was super worried and paranoid about it. Um, I started wearing my mask at work, seeing clients. People would ask me if I was worried about COVID. And my response would be, no, I'm worried about RSV. Um, I hadn't been sick in almost two years. Like the whole time COVID was a word, I hadn't even had a cold, like nothing. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I, my luck, I'm going to get sick at the end of my pregnancy. And Um, that's exactly what happened. So I'm like, I don't know if this is mother's intuition or if I accidentally negatively manifested, um, the events that are, that unfolded, but I got a cough, um, two days before I had jet and Tyler the following day. And when we went in that morning, we disclosed everything about how we were feeling, um, because at that time they're doing the COVID questionnaire, they actually never tested us for COVID, which was surprising to me. Right. Um, and in the hospital, particularly Tyler, I would too, but it was just hard when you're like, the baby's like attached to you, you know, mm-hmm. um, but Tyler was always trying to wear his mask and I was sometimes, um, and we had gotten over our cough and everything, but this was one week after he was born. Uh, oh, and we had asked every doctor we'd see who would come in. We had asked, like, are we going to get him sick? And they're like, well, since you were sick when he was inside of you, he should have the antibodies. So that made us feel a little better. But um, mm-hmm. when he was one week old, 
he was very sleepy that day and he wasn't eating much. Um, that was, you know, we were bottle feeding at that time with um, either formula or what I had pumped, which was like nothing. But, um, and I could see he wasn't eating much and just wanted to sleep all day. So at night I stripped him naked and um, to feed him and had like a warm washcloth. And I'm glad I did that because I could see, you know, I don't know how I would have been able to tell if he wasn't naked because they're so mm-hmm. tiny and their newborn clothes are, at least he was being mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. pounds. So I could see his chest was really moving a lot and it looked like it was hard for him to breathe. Definitely wish I had the outlet in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. I woke Tyler up and like he, he wasn't concerned. Um, I called the nurse hotline. Um, we actually know our pediatrician personally. My husband had texted her husband, um, and the nurse hotline and our pediatrician told us the same things. If he's having wet and poopy diapers, if he has no fever, he should be fine. So I tried not to worry, and I, again, like I said, not much of a cry, but I started just crying a little bit, and Tyler said, okay, you're going to get no sleep for your peace of mind. Let's go into the ER. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not going to sleep. We're not waiting for um, the walk-in that would have been open the next morning. So we got in very quickly. And when the doctor came to see us, I you know, I was like, I'm sorry. We're probably just paranoid first-time parents. Like, we've only had this baby home for a couple days. I'm sure everything's fine. And he looked at me, like, stopped me mid-sentence. I was like, no. I'm very glad you're here. You're not leaving. We're going to run a test, but I know your baby has RSV. Mm. And um, then, yeah, cue the waterworks. It was just my biggest fear um, coming true. They handed me, like, the adult-sized oxygen mask to, like, hold over his face. Um, And then we were admitted to the pediatric ICU. Um, and they were getting him hooked up to the CPAP and everything, vitals. Um, and they were telling us, like, the worst thing about RSV is that it gets worse before it gets better. It'll peak at its worst either days three, four, or five. And mm-hmm. this is day one we're talking about. So that's so different than I, any other illness, I feel like. You just feel like, oh, I'm on the mend. And this is like, wait, this is going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, I had been feeling really good postpartum-wise. Like, hardly had to take any pain meds. I had stopped taking them, you know, by this point one week later. But um, I think all the stress really caused me to have pain. So at the same time, they were hooking him up to the CPAP. I was like holding on to the rails in the bathroom, like trying to not fall down, like just from the pain I was, physical pain I was experiencing. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of weird, interesting timing and how stress can affect your body. Mm -hmm. Wow. yeah, um, uh, it was a journey. We were in the hospital for six days. And one thing I will say, just with anything I'm going to talk about here, I always kept like in my mind, and you say it all the time too, but so many people have it so much worse. This isn't a lifelong thing. Like once we realized 
and I mean, we're always hopeful, but once we realize like he is going to survive this, it's like, it could be so much worse, but yeah. it doesn't mean that- it, You also have to give yourself some credit too. Cause it's so, so incredibly hard, especially those first couple of weeks when your hormones are going crazy and you're crying and you're emotional. Like it feels so, so dark and isolating when things like that happen. So oh, give yourself totally. credit too. Yes. No. And that's, I was going to say, like, like you say, it's just like, just because it could be worse doesn't mean it didn't suck. And it sucked. And yeah, my, I feel like we cried like all day, every day. And we're just so scared um, about what was going to happen, you know, knowing it was going to get worse. There were times where I think like, I held him the whole time because he's hooked up to everything. Like the nurses let me hold him and like sleep in the chair. Like, you know, there, nothing was going to happen without them being alerted. Um, and they had actually moved us just to the regular peds unit. So it was like ups and downs, which I feel like for NICU parents too, is it's just how it goes. And then when we were moved to the pediatric wing, he had a really bad day uh, or night, I should say. And there were constant, like alerts were constantly going off, constantly people in there. Um, and so it's like, two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it eventually got better. He was such a fighter. He never had to be on the ventilator, which we're so thankful for. He was on CPAP and high flow. And the doctor that we had the whole time, Dr. Fish, loved him. And he said, like, seeing him that first night, I would have bet like everything that this baby would have been on a ventilator. And he's like, the fact that he never needed to, like, that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing a, a nurse had said to me, and she was one of my favorite nurses, but um, it has always stuck with me, you know, a few days into it. And one of his better days, she says, said to me like, oh yeah, when a baby first comes in and their life is as iffy as Jet's was. And I, I don't even know what she said after that. I just remember like, oh my God, I didn't, I don't know if I ever realized my son's life was iffy and just hearing the words life and iffy in the same sentence um, about my baby was just right. mind blowing to me and hard. Um, the mother's intuition, you knew. Yes. And that's something I really want to stress with this is like, I, yeah, I mean, I hope this has changed. The fact that they're like, oh, if he's peeing, he's pooping, he has no fever. There's nothing to worry about. Like we had gotten that from multiple people and Mm -hmm. trust your mom gut. Again, I was like, didn't want to inconvenience Tyler and say like, oh no, I think we have to go in or inconvenience the doctor, you know, any of this. And it's just like, no, your mom gut is right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, then we got to go home and he had lost a lot of weight because in there they don't give any breast milk or formula, um, only liquid, like sugar water, maybe, I don't even know, fluids. And um, then I really became attached to pumping because it was all I could do for him. So I never felt my milk come in, came come in or anything. And I did get a supply um, that for a while was enough to feed him. I got to freeze that milk from especially when he was in the hospital. I feel like Mm -hmm. also my body knew like, okay, yeah, we had a tough time, but now your baby 
needs you and needs this. And that was the only thing I could do. Um, so I pumped, they wouldn't let me attempt nursing because he had lost so much weight and they wanted me to track how much he was eating. Um, until one month old, we like constantly had weight checks and stuff. And then, um, he still didn't want to latch. I had always suspected he had a tongue tie, but was told like, nope, nope, he's good by, you know, every doctor saw him. Mm -hmm. Um, which again, follow your mom gut because that's something else I'll get into. It's never ending. (laughs) Um, but I pumped until four and a half months when my supply dried up. I mean, I was, attached to it. I did all the things I was pumping all the time for the full Mm -hmm. half hour. Like every two hours I had done the PowerPoint. I mean, everything. I was really trying to get my supply back. Um, I actually was on birth control for like four days and it cut my supply in Mm -hmm. half or maybe by a third. And then we all got the stomach flu and that had cut it again by a third and my, you know, just barely enough supply never recovered from those two things. And I tried all that I could. And one day, like it was just gone. I think I pumped like four times and didn't get enough for one bottle. And that would have been two hours worth of pumping. Um, just and that's a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but the second time when I realized my supply wasn't going good, it was a little easier to stop. That first time, I think from him being sick, I was just like, nope, it has to literally dry up for me to be done. <laughs> like, I need to see nothing coming out before I'm done. <laughs> literally, I got to that. And then I felt so relieved because I was like so back and forth. On, and I was like so hopeful. And I'm like, okay, nope, it's done. I'm done with this. We're formula now. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> So So next things. Yeah, let's just talk, I guess, briefly about um, Jet and his, um, you know, diagnosis. And then we're going to just kind of jump into Wells's birth and just kind of touch on, I guess, with Wells, I kind of want you to just touch on like the differences between the two. Because I mean, again, C-section, but very different. Very different. Yes. Okay. So with Jet... Um, daycare started having concerns about him with his lack of rolling, him like refusing to do tummy time and just like laying his head on the floor rather than picking it up. Um, and at six months and I too, you know, I was concerned too. I hated the milestone updates that people would post and reading. I couldn't read what people are saying their baby did that comparison. Ugh. Um, and so I called pediatric partners for an early intervention evaluation when he was six months, got in for that when he was seven months. Um, and he was accepted into the program. Um, so what early intervention does is it's really more for the parents to teach you what you should work on with your child, um, to help them progress in the areas they're struggling with him that was gross motor skills so we would or we jet and i would meet with his early interventionist um, once a week at our house 
um, for about half an hour and they would show me all these different things to do with him. And at the time, um, so jumping ahead, but I was pregnant again. <laughs> and um, it definitely caused me anxiety and a lot of like social anxiety and postpartum anxiety um, because I didn't feel like I could just enjoy my child. I was working, mm -hmm. he was at daycare, at home, what, you get like two hours with them at most before bed. Um, weekends, a lot of times there's people visiting your plans and feeling like, okay, I have to take the couch cushions off the couch and have them in this position and this and blah, blah, blah. It felt like I couldn't just enjoy him. Like my time with him was making him do these exercises, making him work hard. Mm -hmm. um, and a few months into early intervention, we had a PT consult and the physical therapist said like, yes, I, he has low muscle tone and I would recommend he see a physical therapist outpatient. So without you as the parent there twice a week. Um, so again, it's not a big thing, but it's still emotional. You just want the best for your child. You don't want them to have any challenges. Um, mm -hmm. So we worked with um, interact therapy for that because it would have taken pediatric partners a while to get us in. And um, a therapist went to his daycare twice a week, 45 minutes. She used like kinesiology tape on his stomach um, and would do all these exercises with him. And that I really loved. I would get a text yeah. every time saying how he did, what they worked on. And that was a relief to me versus all the early intervention, which I'm so great to gain that, gain that knowledge, but I just felt like I didn't get to enjoy my time with yeah. my child. And especially knowing that my months with just him were limited. Yeah, um, and it was so me, nice that they like came to his daycare. Yes. Like, I, it's so nice. Cause then it's like, you just know it's done. It's one less appointment you have to go to because it gets to be a lot. Oh yes. That's another thing I'll get to how many appointments. <laughs> but um all the things kept keep foreshadowing um <laughs> yes and I would get anxiety of where I I'm such a social person and I had so many friends with babies around the same age like we're talking within weeks of jet um and I dreaded those hangouts I dreaded seeing their baby crawling at nine months old um knowing Jet was so far from that and that they didn't know what a side sit was. Or they didn't do any of these things. Their babies just did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And we did a joint first birthday party with um, our friends who had the son a one day younger. And I said to one of my friends, I'm like, I'm just so worried. People are going to notice like Jet's a year and he's not crawling. Um, mm -hmm. And like, are they going to think there's something wrong with him? Cause it's like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfect. He just has these challenges where he just has lower tone in his muscles. And so everything is harder for him. Um, so I, that is where so much of my anxiety came from, but I am lucky. I have never really experienced postpartum depression. Um, mm -hmm. so the other thing that Jet was, that we found late, um, with Jet was a tongue and lip tie, <laughs> which <laughs> I had suspected from the beginning. And I had been told by clients, like, you can't always just trust the doctors and nurses. Um, you, they only catch really severe ones. Mm -hmm. So at eight, you know, he had never latched well onto the bottle. Daycare would say like, it just falls out of his mouth. He just like, he, 
he just doesn't suck hard onto it. And so when I had fed my newborn nephew a bottle who was like a few weeks old and I could not yank that bottle like out of this baby's mouth, I'm like, okay, now I know what the daycare teachers are talking about. So I finally called um, Catalyst, like their ENT at when Jet was eight months old. It took Mm -hmm. two months to get in for a consult. And when we did, they recommended we go see um, an oral facial biologist prior to getting, because they were like, yep, he has a tongue and a lip tie. He could benefit from getting them released. But because of his age, we can't just do it right here and there. Um, We want you to go see an oral facial myologist. So that's, um, we went to embrace therapy and they assigned probably like six to 12 exercises for us to do mm-hmm. inside and outside of his mouth, like digging around inside this, you know, 10 months old mouth. Um, <laughs> it was for, like, bite you now. <laughs> oh yeah. He had teeth. Um, he hated it like three to four times a day. And we're just like, oh my God, we already have these PT exercises. Like. It, it was a lot. Um, they also had us use kinesiology tape, like, under his chin. So everyone thought, like, he was always wearing a Band-Aid, but that was to lift his tongue. Basically, they wanted him to get um, good habits with his tongue, otherwise doing the release, and he could still have all those bad habits. And I guess it is beneficial to not have a tongue and lip tie that can lead to speech problems, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. TMJ, which, oh my gosh, I don't know if we're going to touch on that, but I've had major TMJ issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I can, it, there's a more dentist stuff. I don't know. There was like 15 things I swear they lifted off that they said could benefit from getting this done. Mm-hmm. Um, so then also before we had the surgery. They, in addition to the oral facial myology and all those months of exercises every day, three to four times a day, they recommended craniosacral massage therapy for mm-hmm. before and after surgery. Mm-hmm. And they recommended a chiropractor mm-hmm. before and after therapy, which we had actually been seeing Dr. Emily Acosta that you had on yeah. Yeah. Um, for months but so that was what four appointments I had all scheduled around this one surgery um for his tongue and lip tie which Catalyst did when he was awake just Mm -hmm. before his first birthday um it was awful but it was quick and easy um and the aftercare was definitely the worst part so they wanted us well we had to they wanted us to continue with all the mouth exercises and stuff that we had been doing for like months afterwards and then in addition they wanted us to and we did this but massage his wounds his like lip and tongue six times a day yeah it sucks it sucks yeah if you don't do it though they can grow back yes and especially with I think the age he was at Mm -hmm. but also it's like the packet they gave us of like oh the take care or the take-home care it was all for newborns it's like six times a day he's Mm -hmm. you know he's a year old he's sleeping for 13 hours like he's a newborn who's up and you can do it every four hours of the day so those were a long three weeks um and actually the cranial sacral massage therapist at apex that we saw she had told us like after doing this tongue and lip tie, like everything's so connected. She's like, you might see an increase in his muscle tone. Mm-hmm. And 
that happened. It's crazy. So I remember our pediatrician was like, yeah, I don't know if there's benefits for getting the tongue and lip tie released. And for us, there 100% was. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I wish it would have happened right after he was born, but it didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. Within that same month, he started crawling. Two months later, he was walking. Yeah, that same month, he was pulling himself up. Like all, it went from every early intervention visit, dreading it, being like, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of improvements or like this one thing to being like having a list pulling out my phone and be like oh my gosh now he's doing this now he's doing this like it was wild that is so crazy like I'm even looking like I'm literally looking at pictures of him right now and he just looks so much bigger too yeah like he well I mean he's older too but they're just such big boys now yes yes and so much I mean he will have low muscle tone the rest of his life but he is caught up like now we're doing early intervention once a month and basically probably could drop it but you're you in the state of North Dakota if you're in early intervention you get Medicaid until Mm -hmm. three when you're no longer qualified to be in early intervention and um he's actually graduating PT this month so so it used to be two days a week Um, then it, you know, got less and less and now he's graduating. So, um, you know, people definitely feel free to reach out. If you suspect your kid has a Tonga or lip tie, definitely see an ENT or, um, some dentist specialized in it too. That's absolutely mind blowing. Like how much everything is so connected. Oh, I know. And I don't understand it. Um, Katie at Apex was so amazing at just like she could explain it but of course I don't remember but how the mind and body like everything is connected and yeah getting the tongue released like how that gave him more muscle tone I don't understand it but it really (laughs) and it's so good for people to hear this because it's kind of like people think it's a fad right now you know yeah not for us like your podcast is just so good for people to like hear all these good success stories yes absolutely um and that was something I'll get into as well but we had to advocate because he had he had one too and we were like we're not leaving this hospital until this is addressed right um yeah okay so so let's come to wells right jump into wells and how um that happened and then yeah go ahead Well, again, something if we weren't on a podcast, um, yeah, that was a shocker. I'll just put it that way. So obviously we had fertility treatments with Jet. Um, I had gotten off the birth control because it had affected my supply, um, but we thought we were being careful. Um, also we had a six month old, things were not happening often. And, um, Yeah. uh, One day I was like, well, if I was a normal person, so I had one period after breastfeeding and I was like, well, if I was a normal person, I should have had my period by now, but I used to go like six months without a period. So my body's probably just switched back to, you know, being normal, um, which for me was just not having a period. So I didn't think much of it. Um, but after about 10 days of when technically would have been late, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a test, just peace of mind. So I took the test and literally just went on folding baby clothes, um, walked by, picked it up, was going to throw it away and was like, oh yeah, I mean, I got to look at it and see not pregnant. And it said pregnant. And I was like, where's the knot? (laughs) 
just like freaking <laughs> out at this point. Jet was six months old. Um, yeah, that was quite the shocker. <laughs> telling Tyler, like he was just like, "How? What?" And I'm like, "At uh, yeah, um, remember that one time?" <laughs> He's like, "No, I don't remember it. That's how this happened." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, complete shock. Everyone we told was in shock. Like it so different like with jet it was just instant like so we've been waiting for praying for so happy to this being like it'll be okay it'll be okay like less total years of diapers like thinking oh they're gonna be best friends you know like coming up with the positives because that was not in our plan we're gonna Mm -hmm. go for like a two and a half year age gap not less than a year and a half looking back everything happens the way it should i wouldn't change it for the world so yeah um with him, you know, my plan was because I knew I was going to have a C-section. Things were just so close together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, hey, I want to be numb this time. That'd be nice. Numb. Yeah. yeah that would be nice. No pain. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be great. Um, I want to have a doctor I like. So I switched to the doctor that delivered Jet. I was That's like, fun. I bet he'll remember me. It wasn't that long ago when it was a... Uh, pretty interesting and he's really nice I actually had him for a birth um in June and then funny enough like a week after I did that birth he was a guest at a wedding that I shot oh my god that's so funny yeah Yeah, it's so funny yeah I would like to see him outside because I've outside of the office because I've heard he's fun Um, kids too and a beautiful wife yeah yes no he's great like you know I think most people probably go into it wanting a female doctor but I I really enjoyed him I always felt cared for by him and I did not feel that way with my first doctor yeah Um, he's very soft I feel like he's a very tender spoken person oh yes and like he, I mean, I just knew he really cared. He wanted me to be numb as much as I wanted to be numb and like everything. Um, yeah, he was great. So I changed that. Um, I also, things I changed were, um, I did classroom collecting this time, mm-hmm. which I would really recommend. And <laughs> I did have my um, placenta turned into vitamins, which, eh. I don't think really did anything for me, but um, I'll get into Wells's pregnancy. What was different? His was also high risk, but not as much as Jets, I would say. So you go in the first time you're pregnant and they do your blood tests, you know, check for STDs, all the things. Um, and something had come back on that, which surprised me, um, but found out from the blood transfusion, I had received that I now had um, anti-E antibody, like in the red blood cells. Mm -hmm. Blood is super complex. I'm not even going to try and really explain it, but yeah, what it means is that like, if I ever have to receive blood, um, it has to be, they have to look at that. And there's certain blood I cannot have. Um, I think only like 2% of donor blood I can have. Um, And then what it meant for the pregnancy was if Tyler had this like anti, this big E that my body had like created an antibody to, if he had had that and in this baby we made, my my body could think like 
that the baby is trying to attack or something. I don't know. And it could give the baby fetal anemia, which is not a diagnosis you want. And that would mean that I would have to have like interuterine or the baby would have to have interuterine blood transfusions towards the end of my pregnancy. So that was kind of the first scare that we had. Um, and they did. Oh, an I'm just, sorry. I'm just reading up on what it is right now because I. Yes. Do you want to yeah. explain it better? Cause it goes over my head. No, I'm just like kind of reading it up because um, I have like a negative blood type and Logan's is positive. So I had to take like um, the, the Rogram shot, like my pregnancy. And I think it's kind of similar with the RH um, system. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. Cause it's like, if I didn't do that, then if my next pregnancy, if I were to have like a positive baby and mine's negative, my, my body would think that it's like not part of its yeah, yeah. like excrete it or whatever. So it's kind of Oh, so I have never heard of that before. And I'm pretty sure Tyler and I have opposite, like he's positive. I'm negative or something. Yeah. See, I'm negative. Logan's positive. So I always have to get the Rogam shot because like, if I were to have a baby with a positive blood type, then my body could reject it. Oh, wow. Huh. I had never heard of that before. uh, Before. Yeah. yeah, Maybe it's similar. Um, but anyway, continue. Yeah, no, that's interesting to know. Um, so really how they determined that is test Tyler's blood. Um, took about a week to get back because they had to send it to a special lab in Wisconsin. And thank goodness it came back how we wanted it to. He had no biggie um, mm-hmm. and biggie in his blood or whatever. And that was kind of funny because they're like, okay, like if you have anything to tell us about who the father is, like this is the time. Like <laughs> we're literally going off of this guy's blood to say that your baby's safe. So this better be the father. So that's like, kind of funny. Like, can you freaking imagine if someone had to- <laughs> Tyler would always joke too because he'd be like, how did this happen? And I'm like, it's freaking yours. Don't even. But um, <laughs> so that scare was over. Um again I felt great during my first trimester sorry to everyone who doesn't um and then it was the 20 week anatomy scan got good news that I didn't have placenta previa but they did notice um that the baby had a single umbilical artery which Mm. happens in like one percent of pregnancies so in the umbilical cord because there's one umbilical cord but in there they're supposed to be two arteries Mm -hmm. and our baby only had one which could lead to again don't quote me but I believe they said either having just one kidney instead of two or heart disease but Mm -hmm. luckily um everything they did really in-depth scans on that um we could tell during it we're like what's going on um and everything looked good with his kidneys and his heart so they said really the only thing to be concerned about is like he'll likely be small and my first baby was small too um and so my doctor had always said like because of this you know you'll continue to see maternal fetal medicine and have ultrasounds just like you did last time and then the c-section was scheduled for 39 weeks um and two days or whatever but he said like this could be moved up um if your baby's measuring small um and yeah that's what ended up happening so towards the end of my pregnancy with one of those ultrasounds did see that the baby was 
um, diagnosed with fetal growth restriction. Yep. Which if the belly size of that measurement or the overall size is under 10%, um, they deem that fetal growth restriction. And basically they feel that there's a higher chance of um, stillbirth and that your baby might be able to grow better outside of the womb. Mm-hmm. He did pass all of his biophysical exams every time, which is great. So he had those weekly. So I was at the doctor a lot. Um, and at 37, I, you know, I was trying to eat all the fats again, like when I was trying to get pregnant, I'm trying to do all the things to like get my baby bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the 36 week ultrasound, he still was under that 10th percentile. Uh, except for, and one thing, just real quick, because it's interesting. So, like, his belly size was, like, seven. I think his legs were, like, fourth percentile. And then his head was 65. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, what? That makes no sense. But smart. they actually said, what'd you say? At least he's smart. He's got a big head. <laughs> yeah, I guess. They said that that's really normal, because it's like your body can tell that um, they're not, it's not getting enough or able to give enough and so it prioritizes the most important Mm. part of the body which is the head um so that was really interesting but I thought he was going to come out like looking weird and I mean he was perfect but (laughs) at 37 weeks um the doctor at maternal fetal medicine was like okay we recommend moving it up to 38 weeks to be safe like oh go talk to your doctor well, Dr. Kaplan, love him, but he was on a 10-day vacation. So I'm like, uh, what? what am I, when am I going to have this baby? So um, he returned like not nine days after that appointment when it was recommended to be moved up or something. Mm-hmm. I received a call on a Wednesday and they're like, okay, um, can we do your C-section tomorrow? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess. Um, so yeah, that would have been a little more than a week before planned but that was totally fine I'm like people don't get noticed all the time people just go into labor um right right you're like it's kind of like going into labor but not yeah Yeah, exactly I still got like you know almost 24 hour notice or whatever so that actually was I delivered at 38 and one which was the exact same with jet so that's Mm -hmm. kind of crazy um but this time it was freaking amazing um they had me going early to like look at my blood and they had gotten a special like tested whatever got my special blood from the blood bank just in case I needed it mm-hmm. I got to take the anti-nausea medicine the pre-surgical drink like we're just hanging out with the nurses I had the same nurse mm-hmm. that um was the one who had no poker face with jet uh which was kind of crazy um I got to have it with my doctor because it was scheduled um I, they took me back. I was numb. It was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. This time it was hard for him to get up, get wells out. It was a lot of pressure and it took several minutes. I, I don't know. I should have asked what was happening. They're like, it's going to feel like someone's sitting on your chest. Like he, how his neck was, he was really hard to get out of there. Mm. Um, so there's pressure there, but uh, there was no pain other than that. I actually did ask if I was being stitched up with, after <laughs> Wells and Tyler had gone to the recovery room. Um, he wasn't breathing at first. And it was kind of crazy. It was all this small world stuff. Like 
there was one of the nurses in there was from Brack and a client, a regular like lift and tent client of mine. And the <laughs> respiratory therapist just happened to pick up that day. And like, she's a mutual friend of ours. We share godson with her and she was there when Jet was in the hospital. And now here she's the one like, um, did I say Wells wasn't breathing? Sorry, he wasn't crying. Um, oh, so she was checking okay. him. That's a little bit better than not breathing. Yeah, I'm like, wait, did I just say that? No, he was breathing. He wasn't crying, so they had yeah. to make sure. Um, yeah, so it was just like all this small world stuff. And it was just, yeah, I had to ask if I was being stitched up, which was amazing. I, but I wasn't. This is what it's supposed to be like. Yes. But I've heard people say that they felt like high and like they couldn't hold their baby. No, that wasn't me at all. Um, so this time I had the colostrum that I had collected. So, you know, we're trying to get on the latch again. I have a, I was like, determined to nurse this time again I had a baby who didn't want to latch mm-hmm. but I had no classroom um we had come in with this kit like so the placenta thing um I thought Tyler would think I was a maniac if I brought it up to him so I never brought up even though I was kind of curious about placental getting your pills made or placenta made into pills and then he had actually brought it up to me so it was like a week before or something is all that we decided to do it um so yeah they put the placenta on ice or whatever kept it for us until Tyler could bring it home um (laughs) this kit and I yeah I I don't know if I'd recommend it I was worried about having postpartum this time with having my hands so full I wanted to have a better milk supply, which it was a little better, but it still wasn't great. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it helped with anything. You know, there's you can't even really compare it to your first. Everything's different. So, and there's not a whole know. lot of research behind it. Yeah, anyway, so. maybe it saved me from a horrible postpartum depression. Maybe it did. I don't mm-hmm. know. Compared to yeah. my first, um, things were pretty similar. Um, but our hospital stay was pretty normal other other than, you know, we had him looked right away for tongue tie and it was really noticeable this time. Mm-hmm. He actually has um, a heart-shaped tongue. Have you heard of that? Because um, of yeah. That. Yeah, that's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. So he'll forever. Wow. Now it doesn't really look like a heart shape because his tongue has grown, but it looks like he has a little triangle cut out wow. at the top of his tongue. Um but we really had to advocate for that so or to get that fixed so actually they said that there's only one ENT at Sanford who would do it and he wasn't on call or whatever he was at the clinic but he came over for us and did the tongue tie um, release right there Mm -hmm. and you know had hopes that oh my gosh she's gonna latch and this is gonna be great and no, still didn't. I just, my babies don't like the boob. It's too big or something. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmed. <laughs> I mean, um, they are, they're, they're, they're there. <laughs> they're there, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I nurse, or not nurse, I breastfed with him for, a, not, oh, sorry. I guess it's breastfeeding, but I pumped for it's about. Breastfeeding. It's yes. Breastfeeding. I pumped for about three months and this time like when I was starting to get an undersupply 
I just, I'm like, you know what? It's not going to go to where literally I'm not even getting drops out anymore. Like my hands are so full. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I can't deal with the undersupplies, so I'm going to be done. Um, right. You just took that for your, your mental capacity and decided this is the best route for me. And that is also something that people need to hear. And it's great. Yes. Yes. And I'm glad I did. I actually have still frozen milk, though, from right away when I did produce more than he was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he, I'm probably gonna have to donate it. Um, the whole high life pace thing. I don't know if you've talked about this on your podcast, but he does not like frozen breast milk. Yeah. And I've tried yeah. the drops, I've tried getting it hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. Jet never minded it. So I don't know if I had life pace. I don't know, but I'm probably gonna have to donate the milk. I'm like, drink this. I worked hard. <laughs> <laughs> you could do it in baths though, too, if you want. That's wanted. true. Yeah. I- do it in baths, but I feel like, well, if I could donate it, you know, like, and maybe keep some for baths, but I'm like, I yeah. got more than necessary for baths. <laughs> um, uh, well, Tanya, we're kind of reaching the end. I know. I think we made it through everything. I had a long list. I told you. I know. And I had, <laughs> your, I had your list up too. I was like making sure we were touching most of the points and, um, I'm just like really happy to have this podcast with you and I'm I'm so glad that you came on. Well, thank you. And I hope, you know, someone learned something from my experience. We're all in this together. If anyone wants to reach out, I'm absolutely awful with social media. But hey, after about two weeks, I'll probably see your message and respond to you. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. This is why I to just text you because I'm like, we're just, I'm also bad at responding on social media. Like, oh, no, you're not. You're good. But yeah, I'm like, you better have my phone number because I just suck at this. So, <laughs> well, uh, if you have anything else that you want to share at the end or like any resources or anything like that? Um, I think I listed some companies kind of throughout, but I'll just say for anyone who, um, real quickly, anyone who's like, it's that surprise on uh, second pregnancy because it happens a lot. Like, yes, it's freaking hard at times, but it's also like so lovely. Seeing Jet already try and be like helpful when he was like just learning to walk and bringing me burp claws and bringing me the bottle. And we're seeing how much already just at seven months and almost two, like they light up when they look at each other. Uh, like it will be okay it will mm-hmm. be okay. It'll be beautiful. And like, if you want someone to talk to or vent to, like I'm here, I get it. Um, so yeah, just wishing all the mamas the best. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Yes. Thanks. Bye.